Um, as I, every time I come to a new book of uh, the Bible and um, kind of delve into it a little bit, and uh, I always seem to change what my favorite book of the Bible is. Um, I'm like the kid that, that shows up to the snow cone stand, you know, and says, well, what's your favorite? Well, cherry's my favorite. What about grape? Well, grape's a little more favorite. And, you know, every, every single one, once you try it and read into it and explore it, that kind of becomes your new favorite. Well, Philippians for a while has been probably, if I had to pick a favorite book of the Bible, would be one of my favorites. Um, and that narrows it down, doesn't it? Um, when you think about the book of Philippians and the background and where Paul was and the kind of the, the backdrop for the book of Philippians, Paul is writing this um, as he's under house arrest. Um, some people have debated uh, where he was when he wrote this, but we can see several clues in the text that, that kind of tell us he was in Rome. He refers to the believers in Caesar's household in the last part of the book, and he also mentions the, uh, the Roman guard and how that everyone knew that he was imprisoned for uh, the sake of Christ and for the gospel. And even yet, being in these circumstances and not having his freedom, losing his freedom and being there, and as we see in Philippians chapter 1, not knowing whether he'll live or die from day to day, uh, he writes this book of joy, a joyous encouragement he is writing to the church at Philippi, uh, perhaps because Philippi was a Roman uh, city, um, maybe they had heard of Paul's imprisonment, maybe they were worried or troubled or concerned, uh, but Paul is writing to comfort them, to encourage them in the Lord, and to commend them for their faith in him. And here it's at this time that he writes this letter to the Philippians, and he sets out in the, in the book to encourage them in the Lord. It's a very upbeat, joyous book, um, epistle from Paul. But when it comes to chapter 3, um, we, as often we see in Paul, we see kind of a shift from encouraging them to saying, oh, hey, by the way, I want, to be, want you to be warned about this specific group or this specific doctrine or uh, some other thing. And Paul undertakes in chapter 3 to first off uh, warn them about uh, the Judaizers, uh, who the Judaizers were a group who, in addition to either uh, to following Christ, uh, still highly encouraged and placed a high value even to the point of uh, requiring uh, physical circumcision for um, Gentile believers that had come to faith. Also, they placed a requirement upon keeping the law of Moses and actually finding their part of their uh, standing in God according to the keeping of the law. They saw the outward signs and deeds as ground for boasting or some type of badge of salvation. And to where if you didn't uh, fall into what they thought was the, the perfect category or perfect standing in keeping with those things that you were not truly a believer at all and would uh, fall under condemnation. Uh, and in verse number one and two, we see uh, Paul confronting uh, this way of thinking and actually calling them out really with really great sarcasm and irony. Uh, verse number two, he says, uh, look out for the dogs or beware of the dogs. Now, dogs in Jewish times were one of the most despicable creatures. They were vile and filthy. Um, that has changed quite a bit. Now we have dogs in our homes. You know, that would not happen in a Jewish household. But among those that were uh, Jewish, uh, it was often used, as we can see in Scripture, as a term of derision for Gentiles. We can even look at the life of Christ 
And when that woman came to him whose daughter was vexed with the devil, uh, what did Christ say? He said, it's not appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Um, there kind of, we see the, the culture and the, the context of how that term was used. Um, so here he's referring to these Judaizers, those who would claim um, to both follow Christ, but also to adhere to the Mosaic law and uh, to place this high value on circumcision. He actually refers to them as the dogs. Um, whereas they claim to be uh, followers of Christ and in keeping with the law of Moses, he actually brings out the fact that they are unclean themselves. They are not what they claim to be. Secondly, he calls them evildoers. Now, how could someone that uh, placed such a high value on keeping the law and following the, the Mosaic law, how could they be considered an evildoer? Well, here, uh, these people were persecuting the church. They were sowing division and discord. They were teaching false doctrine among the church. And I think that would be definitional of uh, one who does evil. Uh, but Paul, again, in contrast with their self-proclaimed performance and measurement according to the law of Moses, he says, no, they're, they're actually evildoers. And thirdly, he, he refers to them as those who mutilate the flesh. Um, in their keeping, this refers to their keeping of circumcision. Um, Paul here does not use the, the proper term for circumcision to refer to them, but refer, refers to a different word uh, that is more in keeping with the pagan rituals of cutting, a uh, superficial, completely empty ritual, and draws attention to the fact that not, they are not the circumcision, but he says in verse number three, for we are the real circumcision who worship Christ by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we are those who put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in our performance or standard or our measurement to some uh, to some law or to some um, standard apart from Christ. Now, don't uh, don't take my um, don't take this as me dissing the law or saying that the law is not good. Uh, we know that the law is good, but however, these Judaizers perceive the law in a different way than the way we think the law is good. The, Jude- the Judaizers were saying, if you are not in keeping to the very letter of the law, then you are not a true believer. And they were using their performance in regards to the law as some merit of their standing before God. We know that none of us are able to fully keep the law of God, and that is why Jesus Christ came, uh, to save us, to deliver us, to keep the whole law of God, and to provide a sacrifice and atonement for us. So here we, that kind of prefaces uh, Paul's encouragement to them and his challenge to them in in chapter 3. And he starts out in verse number 4, we'll look at uh, Paul looking at the, the benefits or the gains of his flesh. And it's, it's actually pretty humorous. When I've, whenever I've read this passage of Scripture, and we'll, we'll reread verses 4 through 8 uh, very briefly, um, it, it brings a really interesting um, situation and circumstance to mind that I think many of us will uh, be able to um, identify with. Notice verse number 4. Paul seems to kind of buy into their line of thinking and not necessarily agreeing with it, but saying, if we are going to go down this road and to uh, measure ourselves by these standards that they are using, 
He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. He's just said, those who are true circumcision, those who are believers who follow after Christ are ones that have no confidence in the flesh. But he says, if we have reason for confidence in the flesh, so do I. I also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. For some reason, every time I've read this passage of Scripture and I see these words of Paul, the only thing that comes to mind is two kids out on a playground. And the one kid says to the other kid, my dad's taller than your dad. And the other kid replies, oh, my dad's stronger than your dad. And then finally, to cap it all off, the ultimate you know, insult that you could level at somebody else's father, well, my dad could beat up your dad. I always see this picture when I see what Paul is saying here. He says, if you think that you have something to brag about in the law, not compared to me, I have more. And notice he goes through each and every one of his, his areas where he, in and of himself, from a human perspective, could very well boast and say, I have been blessed by God, but I have attained very much in my life. Notice verse number five. He says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, I'm a Jew. Of the tribe of Benjamin. There are many people today that are Jewish that don't really know their lineage. Uh, or know what tribe they are from, if they are truly uh, Jewish. But Paul knew of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now, some people vary on, on what Paul was trying to say. Some people say, well, this just spoke to the purity of his Jewish lineage, how that there were no uh, Gentiles or any other people that intermarried and that he is not the product of a, a so, so to speak, an impure uh, Jewish lineage. Uh, other people say that this is speaks more of his level of education. Uh, Saul was from Tarsus, but yet he was very educated uh, when it came to uh, even Aramaic, which many uh, Jews of his day uh, were not. He uh, also cites his position as a Pharisee. As to the law, a Pharisee, a very stringent sect uh, within the Jewish people in those days. As zeal, a persecutor of the church. He said, I, I didn't, wasn't just zealous and jealous for God, but I, I actually was one of, the, one of the ones who persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. So we see Paul recounting these gains in his life, but he comes to the end of it and he doesn't say, yeah, I really have something to brag about. He doesn't continue with this sin saying, if anyone has confidence in their flesh, I have more confidence in my flesh. Notice verse number seven. If I can find it, verse number seven. There's eight, there's six, there's seven. Yes, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I counted as loss. Paul here argues to show his superiority, sure, as compared to the Judaizers. I'm sure some of the Judaizers would have loved to have the, the pedigree, so to speak, that the Apostle Paul had. They would have loved that education. They would have loved that, that Jewish lineage for themselves. Maybe theirs wasn't as rich, so to speak. So he shows his superiority as a human boasting perspective, but when it comes to it all, when compared to Christ, it is nothing. Whatever, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Here Paul counts all of his earthly treasures, his earthly gains, his earthly 
heritage as nothing to boast in, as not a, a wealth to be highly valued and regarded, but something to be discarded. He counts them as loss. Later on in the passage, he actually considers them rubbish, uh, a term used to describe garbage, filth, food that is not nourishing to the body, that food that you actually cast to the dogs. The King James actually translates that same term as dung, human filth, excrement. Not something to be cherished, but something to be despised. As we said before, Paul doesn't take a neutral perspective on his gain. He doesn't just say they're nothing. He says they are loss. This is a liability. This counts against me, so to speak. Matthew Henry um, says this of this passage. He says, earthly things are not only less valuable than Christ, but in the highest degree contemptible when they come in competition with him. Those things in your life that are maybe not bad, maybe not even wrong, maybe they are even good things. When you take those good things and compare them to Christ, You come up with less than nothing. You come up with loss. Because for the Apostle Paul, Christ was all. Christ was everything. Verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, more than that, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake... I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The most valuable things, the most valuable education, the most valuable homes and possessions are nothing when you compare them to Christ. Christ is the highest gain. Whatever gain I had, those I counted lost for Christ. He says this three times. I count them Loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss, and he says, I count them as rubbish. We can see kind of a, a progression, um, so to speak. In the first time he mentions it, he says, I counted this as loss for the sake of Christ. The second and the third time he mentions it in verse number eight, he says, I count everything as loss. Not something that specifically happened in the past, but something that continues on because. He has experienced Christ. He continues to count everything as loss for the sake of gaining Christ. Paul counted everything as loss, but also he also says, I suffered the loss of all things. You could even point to many of the things that he drew attention to, his lineage, his standing as a Pharisee, his zeal or so-called zeal in persecuting the church, All of those things, many of those he lost when he became a Christian. Following his conversion in in Acts chapter 9, we see uh, Paul experience the loss of his standing. Those letters of authority that he had from the the high priest to to imprison those in Damascus, that was kind of out of of his uh, pocket now. He didn't have that authority. Certainly as a believer, as a Christian, he had no respect among his fellow Pharisees. And Paul went from being one who actively persecuted the church to being one who was persecuted as part of the church. 
Even a few short verses after his conversion in Acts chapter 9, we see Paul preaching the gospel, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Pharisees saying, uh, how are we going to kill this guy? And plotting actively to kill him. Paul suffered the loss of all things. And surely we can look at the, the, um, the life of Paul and see that Paul was persecuted. Paul endured many things in his service to the Lord. But why did he find everything to be found? Why did he find this riches and this gain, this great gain in Christ? Look with me at verses uh, 8 through 10. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, his relationship with the Lord, knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The first thing that Paul recognizes as part of his riches in Christ is the riches of justification and being found not in and of himself and in his own righteousness, but found in the righteousness of of Jesus Christ, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He has true righteousness is found in Christ. True righteousness. Paul could look back at his life and say, I was a Pharisee. I adhered to all of the strict rules and regulations, the Everything that, that all of the Pharisees observed, I was right there with him. I'm sure maybe to an extent Paul was saying, you guys think you're strict? I probably was a lot more strict than you are. I probably adhered a little more closely, but that goodness, so to speak, from a human perspective did nothing to justify him and make him right before God. Notice Paul draws attention to the fact that true righteousness cannot be gained through human effort. He says, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, we can't have this right standing before God on our own. We cannot adhere to the law of God to such a degree that God will look at us and say, wow, this person I'm telling you, have you seen this guy over here? They are so perfect. They adhere perfectly to to my law, to my to what I have required of them. No, we can't have that justification. We cannot have that righteousness that will have us in a right standing before God through our human effort. It is only as a gift of God that depends upon faith. Notice the latter part of verse number nine. Not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends upon faith. It is only a gift of God, received by faith. That is the only way we can have right standing before God. We can't in and of ourselves, like the Judaizers thought, have that good standing in and of our own good works. It's only had through the righteousness of Christ. The imputation of Christ's righteousness to us and the imputation of our sin to our Savior. So we see Paul found true righteousness in Christ. Secondly, we see Paul found sanctification through Christ. Notice verse number 10. That I may know him 
Now, some people uh, here aren't sure whether this is referring to like a purpose statement, like uh, this is my goal that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, or whether Paul is saying through the righteousness of God that depends upon faith, this is kind of the end goal, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. But notice we see the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Some would look at this and, and immediately say, well, Paul is obviously referring to uh, becoming like and one with Christ in his martyrdom. Christ was uh, killed, uh, innocent uh, for the, the wicked and uh, the pure for the filthy. Jesus was killed. He was martyred. Uh, he was killed uh, unjustly. And Paul here, as a result of his ministry, will eventually be killed. And they point to his martyrdom as having that, that similitude that Paul is uh, stating here. Uh, but I, I think to a, to a greater extent, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, certainly you can draw a parallel there, whether that's the parallel that was intended, um, I can't say with certainty, but I think to a greater extent, uh, Paul is not referring simply to his martyrdom here, uh, but I, I think Paul is referring to his participation in the death of Christ, uh, as in Christ's death being our death and that we are dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. Just as Jesus Christ suffered and died for our sin, we as followers of Christ, as believers, are to die to our sin. Romans chapter 6, Paul says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized... Into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we certainly shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I think this is more in keeping with what what Paul is getting at here. Being with Christ and like him in death. Sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I think Paul here is recognizing not only God's work of justification in his life and clothing us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but also to some extent showing how that we as believers are to follow Christ and to be dead to our sin and alive to the things of God. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul again uh, brings up this point. He says, But be it far from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So we see not only the, the work of justification here in this passage, I, I believe we also see the work of sanctification and becoming more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Romans 8, 28, and 29 is all about? 
For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the work that God is doing in us. It's painful. It is difficult sometimes. But God is working in us and through us to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Through our suffering, through our times of persecution. I don't think any of us could could look at our life and in perspective to the life of Paul and say, wow, we are really going through it compared to that apostle. Uh, Paul never suffered anything like we are. I think the opposite would be true. But God is still working in those times in our lives to sanctify us, to purify us. And one day this work of sanctification will come to its full fruition when we are present with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In verse number 11, Paul draws attention to that. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here we see the, the work of Christ in our lives in glorification. One day we will be with Christ. This was Paul's ultimate hope. Notice he said, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul was willing to endure any hardship, to suffer any persecution, knowing that one day he would be with Christ. Even in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21, I believe it is, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's gain. This is why Paul endured beatings, affliction, imprisonment, shipwreck, false accusations, betrayal, This is why Paul could look at the affliction that he experienced in 2 Corinthians and and refer to it as light affliction when compared to the eternal weight of glory beyond compare. Because one day we will be with Christ. People look at this and they look at that word hope, right? And they say, oh man, see, Paul wasn't, wasn't certain. He was doubting. Paul had doubts about his, uh, one, his glorification, that one day he would be with Christ, that he would be resurrected, have a new body. Uh, but I think Paul's uh, writings point us to more of a certainty than a doubt that Paul had. Notice even in verse 20 and 21 of this passage, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This seems to be the motivating factor uh, in Paul's striving after the Lord Jesus Christ and his faithfulness to the Lord and following after him. Notice lastly, we first of all saw Paul's view of himself in light of Christ. Uh, Secondly, we see the riches to be had in Christ, justification, sanctification, and glorification. But in light of that, we see Paul continuing to strive. And lest any of the Philippians would see themselves as uh, uh, more highly than they ought to view themselves, he says in verse number 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is an absolute beautiful, I, can't, I don't think you could have possibly stated it more beautifully than this. He says, I haven't obtained it. Even in Paul's following after Christ, he recognizes his imperfection and his failures. I haven't already obtained. I'm not already perfect. 
but I do press on to make it my own. Why? Paul, why do you press on? So one day, God would look at Paul and say, this is one of the the greatest men ever. Certainly he is worthy. I think I'm going to make him my own. I'll adopt him into my family. He'll be one of my children. No. Paul's pressing on was not so God would see his persistence and count him worthy of his calling. It was because Christ had already made him his own that Paul continued to press on. This is what should motivate us to live our lives for Christ. Not so people would look at us and say, wow, what a beautiful, wonderful Christian they are, or look at, look at how spiritual, holy, holy they are. No, on the flip side, it is because God has taken a worthless wretch like me and saved me and called me his own. That is why I should dedicate my life and follow after him. That's why the Apostle Paul did. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Notice he mentions this again. He says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul again mentions his his lack. Verse 13, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But Paul doesn't take a fatalistic approach either. He doesn't say, well, you know, it's most likely that I'll never quite attain it until I get to heaven, so why even try? Why even follow after Christ? Why even persist with reading the Word of God and praying and doing all of those spiritual disciplines that we talk about? Why, why bother to try to get to know Christ better, to grow in my relationship with Him if it won't actually be perfect until I'm in His presence? No, Paul rather says, I continue to press on. I continue to seek after. I'm forgetting those things which are behind and straining forward to the things that are in front. He recognizes his imperfection, but he also gives us his dedication and his purpose to continually strive to follow after Christ. We often, uh, I, I often heard when I was a kid, you know, when we I heard a sermon from this passage, um, forgetting those things which lie behind. Uh, and it was most often applied to say, you know, forget, forget about your, all of the things that you've done in your past that would condemn you. And I, I am, I'm definitely in agreement with that. We can have that forgiveness through Christ, that cleansing that washes away our sin. But sometimes we look back at our life and we look at those, the, the glory times, you know, those, those high moments in our lives where we were closer to the Lord maybe than we are right now. Maybe we spent more time in his word than we do right now. We were more zealous in proclaiming his word to others. Maybe now we're just a little cold and shy. I think we should also forget those times as well and continue to press forward to what God has called us to do. Lastly, and in closing, we'll look at his goal very briefly. Um, Paul says in verse number 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here he's saying, I have my eyes on the goal. Um, Paul often uses um, uh, athletic um, 
illustrations to kind of show what he is attempting to do. And I, I think he's kind of alluding to this one, not as, not as vividly as he has in other places. But he says, I press on towards the goal. Paul often viewed himself as a runner. Uh, and we run that we might obtain. Telling us to, to lay aside the weight, the sin that besets us. And to run with patience the race that is set before us. Here Paul uh, says, I press on towards the goal. I have my eye on the goal, the prize. But what is this prize? It's very interesting through all this passage, Paul doesn't even tell us what the prize is. Um, some people would say, well, uh, Paul, if we looked at Timothy, he'd say, I've uh, run the race, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. Uh, there's laid up for me a, a crown of life, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. That's the prize that he was referring to. Others say, well, no. Christ himself is the prize. I think, I think you can make a case for each one of those. Paul doesn't describe the, price, the prize for us, but he, he emphasizes his pressing on towards the prize, knowing that one day he would be in the presence of Christ. He says, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God. Uh, other translations uh, translate this, the, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And certainly Paul was called to a high calling as a minister of the gospel, to spread the gospel, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, as, uh, as God had for him in Acts chapter 9. What is the calling that we have? I think, in, in a sense, we all have the same calling in one regard. God has called us as believers out of darkness into his glorious light. He has saved us. He has justified us. He is sanctifying us, and one day he will glorify us. In a sense, we all have that same call. Now, within that, our lives, God has given us different things to do. We don't all have the same vocation. Um, Not all the men here are elders in this church, right? We have one elder that's with us today. Um, So we're thankful for that. Um, I was always told if y'all, if everybody was a pastor, you know, who, who would be the people, you know? Um, and that's, that's true to a great extent. But uh, God has different, given us different things to accomplish in our lives. And we need to be seeking Him as we uh, seek to do what, what He has called us to do. So how, how can we apply this? Very briefly, there's a, a couple things that we can do, that we can learn from this passage if you're here today and, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you would be as what Paul would call um, outside of Christ. You're not in Him. You're not trusting Him by faith and relying on Him for your salvation. I would challenge you today, no matter how good you may think you are, how great your heritage may be, no matter how closely you are in line with whatever standard you use to to tell you what is right and what is wrong, nothing will help you if you are clothed in your own righteousness before a holy God. You will all stand condemned if you stand before God without being in Christ, without having His righteousness I would urge you today, lay aside your righteousness. As Paul said, it is filth. It is loss. It's a liability. And flee to Christ. 
lay hold of Christ, trust in him by faith, and you'll find him to be a perfect savior to you, one who will cleanse you of your sin and bring you one day to glory. Jesus said, he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And you can be assured that if you come to Christ by faith, you will find that promise to be true. He will not cast you out. Christian, here today, God may not call us to suffer like the Apostle Paul suffered, but God has called all of us as his children out of our sin and into himself. He has called us to him. We are all called to the same thing, to follow after Christ, to lay hold of him, to cling to him, and to follow him with our lives. As Paul did in this passage, I would encourage you, lay aside those gains. Don't be tempted to say, yes, I have Christ, but man, I also have this really good thing in me. Forsake it all and cling to him. Count your gains as loss. Cling to Christ and press on toward the prize. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. Lord, we cannot look at ourselves and find any good thing in us. Lord, it is all loss. It is all trash and rubbish. Lord, it is all worthy of your condemnation. But Father, we thank you that through Christ we have garments that are white as snow. We are no longer condemned. We have the righteousness of Christ. Christ atoned for our sin. He has saved us. He has given us a calling, and we are called to live according to that calling. Father, I pray that you'd help us. May we cling to you. May we follow after you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.